Good morning. Um, did you guys know that America, the United States of A, is the most individualistic culture in the entire world? Yeah, right? Um, on a, a possible score of zero to 100, we scored 91 points. Woohoo! let's go, USA, USA. Yeah, and it's not just because we're better than everybody. <laughs> Anyways, so I don't know if all of us are familiar with uh, the difference between an individualistic society or culture and a collectivist culture. Here's a quick explanation. So an individualistic culture is one where like the ties between individuals are relatively loose and everyone is expected to look after themselves and their immediate family. Right? Do you guys, does that resonate at all with America, the American dream, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? A, a collectivist society is one where individuals have strong ties with the people around them, and there's a strong identifying group that they are a part of. So their family or their cultural tribe gives them a sense of belonging, there's mutual care, and it, it shapes everything. One of the reasons we think America is like this is because of immigration, right? We're a melting pot country. So you get a lot of people from a lot of different places. They don't always associate with one another. So they're less likely to build those bonds of, of mutual identity. And so you tend to like grow more uh, self-identified or self-individualized. Um, now to give you a sense of other countries on the world and where they rank. So we're number one. And then the UK and Australia are right behind us. They rank in the high 80s, which makes sense, right? We're kind of founded out of that culture. Uh, and then if you go to the other end of the spectrum and you look at collectivist cultures, um, Mexico, right? Latin cultures tend to be more family inclusive. Um, they scored 30, meaning they're, they're low on an individual score, which would mean they're high on a collectivist score. And then China is a 20 out of 100. So a very collectivist culture. Um, and I just say those because I think those are two cultures that we probably have some sense of identification with. Now, um, here's kind of what that boils down to. Uh, a we versus an I identity. Do I identify myself by us and who I am amidst us, or is it just about me? Now, uh, one way you could like, get a, put a good example of this is if you ask someone from both cultures, tell me about yourself. Someone from a high individualistic culture would say stuff like, oh, well, my name is Trevor. I do such and such. I've accomplished this. I do this. Here's like me, me, me. It's my, my information, my accomplishments, my personal traits. Whereas someone from a collectivist culture is more likely to tell you about their family. They're more likely to tell you about their community and, and the people around them and the relationships that they have. And, and those things are, like, are shaping the way that they view themselves. Um, some other ways, like that's just interesting. Um, in a collectivist culture, meaning that strong we identity, uh, they're more likely to call out rule violators um, because you're protecting the whole. So you're going to call out the individual for breaking a norm to protect the whole. Whereas here in the U.S., it's actually a rule violation to call out rule violators. You guys feel that? Right? You, you don't want to call someone out, right? Because you're protecting their individual privacy and rights. Um, and so other things that make it different, like here in the U.S., we like to try new things, right? Uh, you are more valuable when you're more unique and like specific, and there's something about you that's just amazing, right? We all strive for that. Whereas in a, a collectivist culture, interestingly, the more unique you are, that actually sends unspoken signals that you want to be better than everyone else. 
and that you're silently condemning the way that everyone else is. And that's why you're striving to be different, right? And so you can see how there's lots of difference. Um, one more thing that's interesting in an individualistic culture is when relationships or connections no longer benefit us, we have the freedom to leave. Interestingly, in collectivist cultures, you will stay friends with someone even when you don't like them. Which is one of the benefits of individualism. <laughs> um, now, there's no moral superiority between those, honestly. It's just uh, descriptions of the way that different cultures operate. Each have pros and cons, clearly. Um, and, but this is relevant because all of us, we're American. We are in our subconscious individualistic in our thinking. And so we have unseen biases and patterns that will affect how we live as a church, how we view ourselves in relationship to one another. So we're in a vision and value series, right? And we are on week four of six of our values. So last week um, we talked about, or yeah, go ahead, throw up the core values just so we can see that list. So very first week was that the gospel is for all of life. Number two, that we are joyful and generous. Three, that we live, we find our way by prayer and God's word. Today we're on, we practice the one another's in community. Next week is we're zealous to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. And then the final week is that we multiply and send disciples and churches. Now, focusing on, on last week, we were focusing on we live by prayer and God's word. We find our way by prayer and God's word. Now, what we're doing this week is we're actually applying that. So we're looking at what does God's word say about how we are formed to live together and what effect should you and I have on one another. And so uh, we're, that value is we practice the one another's in community. Now, you'll notice we have a graphic for this. Just like every week, there's kind of a graphic to cement this on. And we have a fire, um, simply because we are, as human beings, but especially as a spiritual community, like a fire. If you take a log out of the fire, what happens? Yeah, it goes out. It falters. You guys have probably felt that exact thing, right? Those seasons of our life, for whatever reason, we withdraw. And we notice, like, spiritually, we begin to falter and go out. But what happens when you take that exact same faltering log and you reinsert it into life-giving relationship? It blazes, right? You're like, poof, it's back on. And then the cumulative blaze of that fire creates a sphere of light and warmth. What Jesus calls a city on a hill. And that evidences to the world that we are part of a new life-giving kingdom. Now, you'll see this. This will pop up all throughout because I hope that you'll kind of naturally just make connections as we're going through this. Now, um, we, uh, this sentence, we practice the one another's in community, is directly derivative of our, value, or our vision statement. So I'm going to read through our vision statement really quickly. I'm going to ask you to read this with me. So you'll notice the top part, you can ignore that. But that bottom part, if you would read that with me, there's two slides. Um, it goes like this. I'm just going to start reading. Feel free to jump in. We exist because of King Jesus and for King Jesus. He deserves honor and glory forever. Therefore, our purpose is to saturate the inland Northwest and the nations with the good news of our glorified King. Next slide. Through the formation of wholehearted disciples who are connected in life-giving relationships. So every man, woman, and child Jesus gives us and sends us to 
is seen, known, loved, and gospeled well. Now you'll notice, next slide please, that there's quite a bit of overlap between the center of that and the value we're in today. That we, we glorify him through the formation of wholehearted disciples connected in life-giving relationships. That is almost identically parallel with we practice the one another's in community. Would you do the next slide, please? And you can see that here. We are formed through practices. We become wholehearted disciples that do the one another's. We um, are in life-giving relationships called community. And this is our plan for the day, is we're just going to work through those three parts one at a time. We're going to start with practice, move into one another's, and in community. Um, And if I could give you my one sentence for each of those categories right now, um, it would be this. That practicing includes attempt and failure, and it results in formation. The one another's are Jesus' gospel toward us, and they're who we are becoming. And the family of God is both God's chosen tool and the final destination. So if we begin with practices or being formed, uh, right, just think of that word, practice. Um, if you think of athletics, music, education, like how do you develop an accurate golf swing? You practice, right? How do you learn a new language? Repetition practice, attempts, and you become competent through practice. But ultimately, practice, whether it's speaking Spanish or learning golf, it includes attempting, actually doing. Often, it includes failure. But the result is you are formed into someone competent. You're formed into a new person with new abilities, new characteristics. Now, there's two ways to think of Um, this like practice and repetition. One is that we practice so that we are creating new abilities, right? In a a spiritual sense, like like we do want to learn new things. We want to be able to share the gospel well. We want to be comfortable in praying for others. We want to be capable in giving counsel and spiritual direction. We want to serve in meaningful, tangible ways. We need new skills to do all of that. But the other way is that practice and repetition actually forms who we are. We become new people through what we give ourselves to. So, for example, um, like last week's value, we live by word and prayer. So, if I am practicing that, I, I will get more skilled at how I read the Bible. I'll get more comfortable and capable in how I pray. But ultimately, the goal of that is not just having the skill of reading the Bible and having the skill of praying. The goal of those things is that through repeated lifelong exposure to God's presence and his story, I am changed. I'm actually formed into a new person. You and I become different people. And so we are practicing in a couple of different venues. Obviously, we have the more formal things like what we're doing right now. We also have gospel communities, which are a version of small groups. We have developmental cohorts. We have men's ministry, women's ministry. Your kids in the back, they're in kids' ministry, practicing and being formed right now. And then obviously, there's just the informal things, like your friend groups, your family. Like those are places that we can continue to practice and develop and be formed. So that leads us to the the next category. So we've gone through, we practice, and now we're at the one another's. Um, And so we have to ask, what are we being formed into, right? What are we actually practicing? So 
with the whole of ourselves, we are following Jesus, becoming like him, doing what he did. So when we say, like, we're practicing the one another's, it's, it's kind of a shorthand way of saying doing what he did. Um, now, I'll explain what the one another's are because I think that's necessary. When I first saw this value about two years ago, um, it was Jared hung it in the office on a, a picture frame. And I remember seeing it and thought, oh, the one another's. Like, yeah, you know, like love one another, serve one another, and stuff. Like, that's in the Sermon on the Mount, right? <laughs> like, I thought it was like the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And then the one another's, like do this for one another, do this for one another. And then we as a church went through the Sermon on the Mount and I realized I was very wrong. Um, so if you are like me and you don't really know what the one another's are, uh, here's what they are. Um, it's just their, their instruction. Uh, Jesus began it in his lifetime and then the early leaders of the church continued it. And it's basically whenever they give instruction about how to live in community, what the kingdom of God lived out with human beings is. So it, it begins in Jesus's words, but it's all throughout the New Testament. Um, and so over the course of the New Testament, the word one another is used over a hundred times. Uh, 59 of those uses are direct instruction. Do this for one another, to one another, in relationship with one another. And again, all of them create a value system and a behavioral relationship that defines Christian community. Um, before we look at that list of what some of them are, I want to point out that every single one originates from Jesus. And he, when he gives the very first one another, specifically ties it to himself. And this is in John chapter 13, verse 34. It says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, he's tying it to himself, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you, have, or if you love one another. Another way of saying that is, if you do what I do, if you live as I live. And everything branches from that. If we look at the one another's, but we forget the root that Jesus identifies every single one with himself, then we've missed, unfortunately, the entire message. And every one another that we're going to look at and every one another that's in Scripture can be summed up in Jesus' words right here. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. And everything else branches and grows into specifics of how you love one another. So here's a list. And I'm going to go through these a little bit slowly. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Encourage one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Use the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. You can see how this creates... Go back one slide if you would. You can see how this creates... 
just a beautiful description of community. Like As we're listening to this, think of that. If people were doing that for you regularly, submitting to you in kindness, bearing with you, teaching, encouraging, forgiving, serving, honoring, like that's the kind of community I want to be a part of, right? Now, again, all of those things are beautiful values, but if those become our to-do list alone, ultimately we're missing out on the beauty of this message, that Jesus is not only saying, love one another, he's saying, as I've loved you, also be transformed and begin to love one another. And so what I want to do is just read to you some of these highlights. You can go to that next slide. Um, Some of these highlights, and I want to tie them directly to Jesus's life. These are the one another's, not just as instruction, but as gospel. Think of this, the entirety of the gospel. In Romans chapter 12, it says, be devoted to one another. And you could parallel that to John chapter 3, right, verse 16, right, that God was so devoted to a world that had rejected him, but rather than condemn it, he sent his son to save it. He was devoted to it even as it was rejecting him. It's the beginning of the gospel, Number two, honor one another above yourselves. In Ephesians chapter two, it specifically says, quote, Jesus raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He honored us up into heaven at his right hand. Galatians five says, serve one another. And again, what is the gospel? but that he was devoted to us. He gave us a place of honor, that he served us. Philippians chapter two says this, that Jesus emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and he was born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Ultimately, this act of service was paying all of our sins, everything that we had done wrong, past, present, or future. And he says, I'll take it. I will serve you. Another one another says, bear one another's burdens. You guys are probably familiar. Matthew 11, Jesus's words, quote, is come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. James 5, our last one says, pray for one another. And Jesus himself in John 17, these are his words, a selection from John 17. He says, Father, I am praying for them, everyone you've given me. Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one, united, even as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. I don't ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now notice this. This is where he begins praying for you. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 2,000 years ago, he was praying for you. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. So, Father, I desire that they also may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. We just went through a list of one another's, but what was that but the gospel? Saying that he was devoted to us, even in our sin and disobedience, that he chose to honor us and put us in a position of children of God, that he served us even to the point of death on a cross, that he raised us up, that he carries our burdens in this lifetime, and that he is guarding you and keeping you 
He is interceding to God for us. That is the entire gospel message. And that is what the one another's are rooted in. It's not just instructions we need to do, but ultimately the gospel that Jesus continues to live towards you and I. And so by practicing these things, we're actually live, like we're bathing in gospel, right? We're, we're like through practice and repetition, it is forming us in the words of scripture, like Christ. But there's, there's one more one another, okay? So many of them are instructions. Do this for one another, behave this way towards one another. But there's one more that defines the rest of our conversation. It's this. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Let us tell the neighbors our truth, comma, for we are all members of one another. Wrong slide. (laughs) Ephesians 4.25, let us tell our neighbors the truth, comma, for we are all members one of another. The larger context that this is in is is the entirety of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 begins like this. He's talking about the unity of the church. He says, so now you Gentiles, those without the Jewish heritage, you who are outside of religion, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And together, we are his house. We are built on the apostles or the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And he, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Chapter four, verse three, we are carefully joined together in him. We are becoming a temple, a holy temple for the Lord. So make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace for there is one body and one spirit. And then he continues in verse or chapter four and he describes the effect of that unity, the effect of seeing ourselves as one body. He says this, we are growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body, his church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, the effect is it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Healthy, growing. The effect of our our maturation and our unity is that we are healthy, growing, and full of love. So my question for you, is do maturity and Christ-likeness and unity go together? Does maturity and unity go together? So think of like the most healthy follower of Jesus that you know. Not the most like spiritual in appearance. It's not, not a very good test, but the most healthy follower of Jesus that you know. How do they view their connection to the body of Christ? Are they lone rangers? Or I would assume they're probably devoted, patient with one another, forgiving one another, serving one another. And then I would ask, what effect do they have on the body? Are they a consumer where it's all about them? Or in their maturity, are they contributing? In the words of Ephesians, with their special work, they help the other parts grow healthy and full of love. And this brings us to our final section. Um, we practice the one another's in community. And we're like a fire. Uh, 
So in God's plan, this community, like this community defines us far more than our individual identity. The communal identity that he gifts is actually the thing that defines us. In his words, we are citizens of God's holy people. We're members of his family. We're parts of the body. What that means is that the church is not a building or an event that we attend. It is the family to which we belong. Like this is the biblical understanding of what is the church. Now, and as I say that, like the family of God is far beyond our little church, right? Like we are part of that, but the family of God spans centuries and millennia and it spans the entire globe. So we are part of that body. Now, we can approach this body, this community, in one of two ways. Uh, One way is dangerous. The other way, in the words of Jesus, John 13, evidences to the world that we are his disciples. So what is the dangerous way? Being a consumer. When we approach Jesus' people, his community, and we only value it while it is giving us what we want. What that sounds like, if you would go back to the one and others, Alex, this is what that sounds like. Be devoted to me. Honor me above yourselves. Live in harmony with me. Build me up. Serve me. Bear my burdens. Forgive me. Be patient with me. Submit to me. Bear with me, teach me, encourage me, stir me up. Use your gifts that God has given you for my benefit. Pray for me, confess your faults to me. So what that means is when there's disagreement or hurt or dissatisfaction, we move on. You're failing me. And if that is our motivation to move out of a body of Christ into a new church expression, what we do is we lose the opportunity to practice, attempt, fail, and be formed by the one another's in community. What we ultimately do is we lose the opportunity to be formed like Christ. But the other way, the one that evidences to a watching world that we are disciples of him, is being a contributor. This means that we approach all of Jesus' people, guys up front and in the seats, as broken. We anticipate the ways that they will fail us and disappoint us. And then we double down. We practice the one another's in community. This is what we've called in the past gospel plus safety plus time. So again, practice includes attempting and failing, but it results in formation for all of us. Now, if I could read those one another's one more time, this is what it would sound like. I will be devoted to you. I will honor you above myself. I will live in harmony with you. I will build you up. I will serve you. I will bear your burdens. I will forgive you. I will be patient with you. I will submit to you. I will bear with you. I will teach you. I will encourage you. I will stir you up to love and good works. I will use my gifts that God has given me for your benefit. I will pray for you and I will confess my sins to you. What a different picture for the family of God. And ultimately, in Jesus' words, this evidences that we are following him. I just want to point out that this, like, Jesus' teaching and the apostles' teaching, they all anticipate 
that there will be division, that there will be hurt, that there will be immaturity, that there will be failure in leadership. And then they write, because of all of that, bear with one another, be devoted to one another, forgive one another as God through Christ has forgiven you. They say gospel plus safety plus time. That's what the one another's are for. Now, even this past week in my gospel community, um, we had a moment. <laughs> I threw out an idea uh, without prepping my community. Like I kind of hit everyone. Everyone was like the end of the night. We were all kind of zonked out. And I said, hey, what if we did this? And the result was like tension instantly, like <clears throat> tension, awkwardness. And what happened was 15 minutes that followed where we're all trying to like figure out like how do I speak up and talk about my needs, but also like give voice to the other people in the room. And like truthfully, like it was messy. Like it just didn't go as well as it could have. But the beautiful thing, like Whitney and I went home and we talked about it and was like, oh man, we could have done this, should have done this, should have done that. And the ultimate thing was, I'm so glad we're practicing the one another's in community. I can just mess up and I don't need to lose sleep about it. I can just mess up and I can go back and say, guys, thank you for being patient with me. Like what a safe community to be a part of. Like that's what the people of God is supposed to be like. And this ultimately is God's design. The family of God is God's chosen tool for our transformation and his mission. Right? As, as I messed up in community, I was being transformed because I was reminded of the gospel. I, I could assume that people would express the gospel back to me. Trevor, hey, we're bearing with you. And, and they were like in that, like I knew that they would preach that to me even through action. I was reminded of the gospel. And, and people might be irked. Like I still got to follow up on that. Like people might be kind of grumpy with me. And that's a great opportunity for us to practice What's going on here? Like, how do we resolve this? And we're being formed through our relationships, even as we attempt and fail. But also those communities are, so those communities are a tool for our formation, but they're also our partners on mission. We stir each other up to love and good works. We participate in the mission of God together. Now, when we talk about tools for transformation, um, gospel friendships have an enormous effect on our lives. So like you and I, just as humans, like we functionally need community and life-giving relationships, formal and informal. Now, in the words of Ephesians, gospel friendships grow us in every way more and more like Christ. And he continues, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There's one more beautiful illustration of this that I want to read to you guys. And it's this illustration that gospel friendships show us the Father's face in ours. In the words of Scripture, that we are becoming holy and righteous like Christ. So uh, this is written by a guy named Mark. Um, it's a little excerpt, and he's writing about the Lion King. Um, probably the original good one, not the weird Disney one that's new. Um, and so if you guys are familiar with, with The Lion King, you'll immediately know where this is. If you're not familiar, the plot points aren't super important. I think you'll pick up on the main message. Mark writes this. In The Lion King, Simba, 
That's the name of the main character. Simba is a self-obsessed, self-pitying young lion, and he loses his way after a tragic mistake. And so he wills a deep forgetfulness. He rejects who he is, and he spurns what he's called to. The pain of his past and the burden of his future are crushing. He avoids it all by throwing himself into a life of idleness and indulgence. And it's so much fun until it's not. One day, Simba meets Rafiki, who is a blue-faced baboon. And Rafiki is sitting on a branch, and he's singing this, like, nonsense song. And then he says to Simba, I know who you are. So the chase is on. Uh, Simba begins chasing Rafiki. Rafiki swings from tree to tree. He scrambles through thickets. He darts, weaves, vanishes, appears, and Simba gallops to chase him. And at a turn in the chase, Rafiki says to Simba, you are more than who you have become. At last, Simba comes upon Rafiki by a pool in the forest. I know who you are, Rafiki says again. You are Mufasa's son. Mufasa was Simba's father. Mufasa was the Lion King. Look, Rafiki says, and he invites Simba to gaze at his own reflection in the pool. But all Simba sees is his own face. It's only me, he says. No, Rafiki says, look again. He drops a stone in the water. The water ripples and then stills. And Simba sees, reflected in his own face, the face of his father, the face of the Lion King. He rises and he runs straight into his destiny. Now, here's the interesting part. In Swahili, Mufasa means king. Simba means lion, and Rafiki means friend. In Mark's words, a Rafiki helps us see the Father's face reflected in our own. He helps us discover that we are more than who we have become. He helps us, despite our failures, our inadequacies, our fears, rise to our true self. I would insert the words, becoming more and more like Christ. I woke up one day over a decade ago. This is Mark's true life. I woke up one day over a decade ago now, and I realized I didn't have one, a Rafiki. I had just turned 40. I was enjoying life immensely, but I was friendless. There was not one person in my growing list of acquaintances and colleagues who I would trust with the deep stuff. There was not one person I could call at three in the morning if my life was derailing. There was not one I could call at three in the afternoon just to hang out. And so I went in search of a Rafiki. And I found a few. I had to take risks. I had to be vulnerable. And I had to become curious. I had to drop my guard and invite my Rafikis to hold a mirror up to me so I could see who I really was and who I might become. They held it, and I saw. I still have miles to go, but I see much more clearly than ever the Father's face reflected in my own. Such good Rafikis. Those kind of friendships are hard, and they don't just pop up. And that's why, I'm not pitching anything, but that's why we commit to things like gospel communities, is because we need Rafikis, and we go looking. And we commit ourselves to a community when, where other people are saying, I'm willing to be a Rafiki. I'm not perfect. 
I'm going to attempt and fail, but ultimately through our friendship, we're going to be formed together. Now again, we are like a fire, right? If you take a log out of the fire, it falters, it goes out. Many of us have felt this exact thing, but when you take that same log and you put it back into the life-giving relationships, it blazes. And together, that cumulative blaze becomes a sphere of light and warmth that other people are drawn to, comforted by. And that sphere evidences to the world that we are part of a new life-giving kingdom. As I have loved you, so love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Now, the family of God is God's chosen tool for our formation. But ultimately, it is the final destination. We read Revelation this morning. At the end of days, what will a new heaven and a new earth be like? Revelation 7 tells us that there will be an innumerable multitude of human beings living in life-giving relationships Doing the one another's. It's literally what heaven will be. Is a group of humans so saturated by the presence and the goodness of God that they will live together in community, practicing the one another's. And the result is that, or like what will get us there is that we will be formed complete in the image of Christ. So next week, we're looking at the next value statement, that we are zealous to see the poor, or to serve the poor, and to see the lost redeemed. And that's going to dovetail exactly into this conversation, because it's looking at how does the body build itself up into maturity and begin participating with God on his mission. Would you pray with me? Father, I think that last point is a thing that has just blown my mind all week long. Um, That church... The body of Christ is not a temporal thing. Like, that is literally the goal. We will be saturated with the goodness of your presence, living in life-giving community and friendship. Father, would you help us to begin practicing that sort of friendship with each other, both in the formal spaces and in the informal spaces? And would you do this, Lord? Would you give us yearning? Um, This is hard. It requires vulnerability It requires changing our schedules, unsurfacing or resurfacing hard things. Would you give us bravery through your spirit to do this? We love you. Amen.